Okay, good morning everyone. Today is Lag Baomer, and we're going to be learning about what page are we on? What? Why do we pray? Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem before he became a public figure, a, a, a public leader of the Jewish people, he would go from townlet to townlet. He did this similarly after he became public, but nonetheless, prior he, prior he went around um, to, a, to all the different townlets, and he comes to one inn in a far-off place, and he comes into the home and he asks the children, he says, where is your father? They say he's praying. Pull up a chair, Mr. Rabbi Shalbal Shemli sits down for a, a few hours, he's waiting, and again he turns to the children, he says, where is your father? And they respond, he's praying. And finally the, the man comes out, and he turns to the Baal and he says, with an, all ashamed, he says, I'm an ignorant Jew, I can barely pronounce the words from the prayer book, I can, can't decipher its, its instructions. And therefore, every day, I just start from the beginning and go to the end of the prayer book. I don't know any better. I can't read appropriately. I, I start at the beginning and go to the end. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem he says, that's why I'm here. He takes the man's sitter and together they put in these different sticky notes on each page. With, and Rabbi Yisrael, he says, this page is only for Monday and Thursday. This page you only say if there's a bris. There's no reason to say this one, this is only if it's a fast day. He goes through every page. The excited man, he's now going to have many more hours a day. And Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov leaves. He walks away. A few moments after he leaves, the man's sitter goes from the shelf, falls on the floor, and all of those notes fall out. Okay, no big deal. He starts running after the Baal Shem Tov. He says, Rabbi, he's, he's chasing after him. And as... He's chasing after the Balshemto. There's a river that's impossible to cross at this time of year. And the Balshemto takes a handkerchief, and a handkerchief. He puts it under his feet, and he casually glides over the water. Well, the man is like, "That's interesting," but he needs to catch the Balshemto. He takes his own handkerchief, he puts it under his feet, and he similarly crosses the water. And finally, he catches up to the Balshemto. And the Bashemtov says, what's going on? He says, Rabbi, all of your instructions, they've fallen from my sitter. I need your help. Please, please. So the Bashemtov says, first, first things first, how did you cross that river? Well, he says, simple. I saw you take your anger tip, put it under your feet. I took mine, and I also flew across. <laughs> and the Bashemtov responds, he says, I think whatever you're doing, Hashem's very happy with. Well, let's leave it the way it is. We all have to pray, we all have the responsibility to pray, but we don't all know what are we trying to accomplish. The Hasidim are Rishayim, the Gemara in Tractate Brachas tells us that the original Hasidim, this goes back 2,000 years ago, they would spend nine hours a day in prayer. They barely had time to work. Asks the Gemara, how do they make money? Well, Hashem blessed them. They put in so much energy into prayer, that the Gemara responds, Hashem blessed them and they were able to, in the small amount of time they had each day, make the necessary, you know, the amount of money that was necessary for their lives. We spend a tremendous energy within prayer. Why and what is this all about? 
Does anyone here want to share perhaps some thoughts? Why do we pray? Why do we pray? To get close to Hashem. Closer to Hashem. How does prayer bring us closer to Hashem? Better if we would go and learn Torah a whole day, we would become closer. So why, why do we need to pray? Yosef, why do we pray? Um, to, to praise God, to acknowledge His greatness. Hashem needs our prayers. He, we're a little... It's like an ant coming to you and, and, think, and telling you what a wonderful person you are. To remind us. To remind us. To remind us of what? How great God is. We, we need to be reminded. That's a good answer. So oftentimes people say, you know why we pray? To strengthen our belief in God. But I'm going to argue completely on that. We all know, we say every day in prayer, When your hand out, it's on number one. Number one reads, And Israel saw the great hand, which the Lord had used upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord, and in Moses, his servant, Exodus 14.31. It's clear that our belief in Hashem we have. And, the, and they believed in the Lord, and in Moses, his servant. So prayer is not about belief. We're all familiar with the ladder that, that Jacob, Yaakov, sees in his dream as a number two. And he dreamed, and behold, the ladder set up on the ground, and its top reached to the heavens. And behold, angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Yaakov Avinu, he's lying on the Temple Mount. His rocks have combined to be one. And he has a dream of this ladder with angels going up and down. And we learn that this ladder is a ladder of prayer. The ladder that Yaakov saw was a ladder of prayer. Prayer has steps, has levels. You can't jump to the top of a ladder. Maybe you could, most often you can't. You have to go step by step. And it's a very tall ladder. And so today we're going to discuss four steps on the ladder. We're going to discuss four reasons why we pray, each one of them true. By forthcoming classes, God willing, we're going to actually go through the prayer book and discuss what we're doing, how we're doing it, and how that fits into this ladder. Number three. Hadda number three. This is the first answer. It's a beautiful answer written by Maimonides and Guide to the Perplexed, Emir Nevuchim. And he shares with us that we are told to offer our prayers to God. Why do we offer our prayers to God? Why does the Torah say to pray? In order to establish firmly the true principle that God takes notice of our ways. Oftentimes we think that Hashem doesn't care about us. He's not looking after us. Prayer is like Yosef said, it's for us to think and recognize that Hashem takes notice of every single thing we do. That He can make them successful if we serve Him or disastrous if we disobey Him. That success and failure are not the result of chance or accident. Why do we pray, says Maimonides, says the Rambam? Because we are going to come to the recognition that Hashem runs this world. There's Hashkacha Pratis, there is divine providence. I heard the most amazing story told. There's a man, Rabbi Getzi Rubashkin, and he shared how he once saw his child get into a car, his two-year-old child, and take off. And unfortunately, there was a big turn in the road that was a fork that was going left, and his child was turning the steering wheel right. 
And he says, the car is going very fast. And he says, I was not worried. I had no issue in my mind. Why? He says, because the child was at an amusement park going on a track. So he said, I had nothing to worry about. But, but if we think about that story, it's the same with all of us. It's the same exact thing with all of us. We're on a track. We think we're driving that car. We think we're going right. Let it be known. You're on a track and nothing is going to take you off. <coughs> There's a path that you have and Hashem is going to take you to where that needs to be. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, the sixth Rabbi, the previous Rabbi, he said, worrying is just a waste of your time. Nothing will happen from your worry. Hashem has a plan. And your worrying is not going to affect it. So stop worrying. Don't worry. So that is step number one. Prayer, if we pray properly, it should remove all worry. If we come to the recognition that Hashem runs this world and he, whether, whatever we do, Hashem is going to keep on that track. If we're, and, and if we act in a good way, that yes, Hashem may do good and unfortunately if the other, Hashem could do the opposite, God forbid. If we recognize this, most of our worries should fall aside. Divine providence. There's someone running this world. That's the first thought of why we pray. That's the first rung of the ladder. If someone says, why pray? Well, you want to start at the beginning? We pray to recognize that Hashem runs this world. Step number two, the second, the second step. Does anyone know what the word tefillah means? Well, oftentimes it's translated as prayer. Tefillah, we're going to learn two methods of translation today, but one of the sources of the word tefillah in your handout number four, pilel, to judge. The word tefillah comes from the word pilel, to judge. Prayer is judgment. But we are judging ourselves. Not Hashem judges us. Tefillah is a self-examination, a self-judgment. Where am I? How am I doing? What am I accomplishing? That is tefillah. The second step is that we need to examine ourselves and see how am I doing? How are we accomplishing? And so often in prayer we talk about the greatness of Hashem. We talk about how low we are and how great Hashem is, how He's a compassionate God, and this is why. Because when we're examining ourselves, we all are going to be able to conclude that we don't deserve Hashem's kindness. If we all look into who we are and how we could have done more, we're, we're going to recognize that we need Hashem's mercy. We need, Hashem, we need Hashem's kindness to be able to succeed. Step number two. Prayer is our self-evaluation judgment. Any questions? Step number three. Number five in your handout, Deuteronomy 11.13. <coughs> and it will be if you hearken to my commandments that I command you this day, what is my commandments today? To love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Hashem is commanding us, Moshe and Deuteronomy is telling us that we have to serve Hashem with all our heart and soul. Brett, how do we serve Hashem with our heart? We could love Hashem with our heart. 
We could fear Hashem with our heart, but we cannot serve Hashem with our heart. If someone asks you for, to go to the store and buy a tomato for them and, they, and you say, I love you, that's not going to bring that tomato here. There's no service being done. That's not going to accomplish anything. And our heart itself cannot accomplish. Our heart has the ability to try and accomplish. But, but our heart itself, without combining with our brain and the rest of our body, can't accomplish. So what does it mean that we should, with all our heart, we serve Hashem and the Gemara in tract a tinus 2a in your handout number 6 tells us what does it mean to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart? The Gemara asks this very question. What is the service of the heart? How do you serve Hashem with your heart? And Noyach, what does the Gemara respond? Uh, to love that uh, Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart. What is service of the heart? You must needs pray. Say prayer. The Gemara says, what does it mean to serve Hashem with all your heart? That is prayer. We're serving Hashem during prayer. <clears throat> Avoida, what does service mean? Now, how do we serve Hashem when we pray? What does Avoida mean? Work. Work. We have an expression we find, Oirois Abudim, tanned skin, tanned leather. So in addition to saying Avaida could mean work, Avaida can also be a reference, can also be used to term taking the hide of an animal and tanning it, refining it. So serving Hashem with all your heart means to refine your heart, refine your body. Just like you take this raw leather, this raw skin, and you now make it, after a long and dirty and, and hard process, you make it into beautiful leather that's very expensive, it's very classy. Well, the same thing is tefillah, when it says to serve Hashem, the word service can be translated to tan our heart, to refine our heart, to take our heart and turn it inside out, take our body, turn it inside out to become a new and better person. So we started off saying the first level of prayer is recognition Hashem owns this world, Hashem runs this world. We continued saying that tefillah is when we self-examine ourselves. But within that self-examination we didn't really talk about the process to make ourselves better. That's step number three in prayer. Is to take that self-examination that we had in Take that self-examination that we had in the second level, and the third level is to go ahead and actually refine ourselves. Well, if, once we're doing this, we're really now a whole new person. We've gone to a whole new plateau, a whole new level. And this leads us to the fourth and final level of prayer. What's the fourth and final level of prayer? And that is on the bottom of your on the bottom of your handout number eight. Tefillah. Tefillah, in addition to meaning who could remind me? What was the first Pilel? In addition to Tefillah meaning to judge, Tefillah could also mean to glue. Where do we see this? We see we see this in the Mishnah. In Kalim, Mishnah uh, chapter three, Mishnah five, it says, if an intact clay vessel is Teufel, Teufel, the same Shoirish, the same source as tefillah. 
What does the Gemara say if an intact clay vessel is teufel, glued? So then the Mishnah continues an argument about its uh, method of purification, if it's impure, etc. But nonetheless, what we see from that Mishnah clearly is that teufel, tefillah, could mean glue. So the final level of tefillah, the fourth level, why do we pray? Is because we are gluing, we are connecting, we are plastering, we are attaching ourselves to Hashem. We are connecting with Hashem. So here, in summary, we have these four reasons why do we pray. To recognize that Hashem runs this world. To go ahead and judge, examine ourselves. To go and work on ourselves. And finally, once we've done all these three steps, the fourth level is to connect and unite with Hashem. Why pray? Do we, we have the four reasons clear? And with this, I'd like to move on and discuss the history of prayer, to discuss the history of the prayer book, and why we use a prayer book. And we're going to conclude by discussing David's favorite topic, Nusach Ashkenazim Sfardim and the Nusach Ari. Do I have your permission? You must be kidding. <laughs> <coughs> So, where does prayer come from? Well, prayer, it originates, it sources back, we find that Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each one of them, the Torah shares about one prayer they prayed. Avram prayed the Shachris prayer, Yitzchak prayed the Mincha prayer, and Yaakov instituted the, after, the evening service. You know, they say, why did Yaakov institute the afternoon service? Why did he do that? Well, if you would have 12 children at home, you'd also want to leave in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they all went ahead and they instituted one of the three prayers. The, each one of these three prayers corresponds to a sacrificial happening that happened in the temple. The, the morning service corresponds to the first sacrifice brought every day, the tamid, the carbon tamid that was brought every morning. The evening service, the, the mincha service, the afternoon service corresponds to the last sacrifice that was brought every day. And the evening service, myriv, corresponds to the burning of the fats and the items that had not yet been burnt on the altar. So we have three prayers. Do we have any source of the three prayers being said before the times of the Talmud by one person. In other words, until now I've said that Abraham prayed Shachris, um, Isaac, Yitzchak prayed Mincha, and Yaakov, Davin, Meirev, but do we see anyone that prayed all three tefillos? And the answer is certainly, we find many people, but one of them, which we say in Tilim, is in your handout number nine, David HaMelech says, Evening, morning, and noontime, I speak and moan, and he hearkened to my voice. Three times a day, I was praying to Hashem. By the way, why does David HaMelech first start with evening? Wouldn't it be more appropriate to say, I pray in the morning, noontime, and evening? Why is he starting from the... Fantastic, obviously, because the day begins by the night. So, so David HaMelech says, I prayed all three tefillos. So we already have precedence that the three tefillos were said and incorporated into our lives way back and clearly dating back to at least the times of David HaMelech, King David.
What about the wording of prayer? A famous question, and we've discussed this in the Tanya class before, is I would rather say my own words to Hashem. Why do I have to open this prayer book? And it's very intense. Every day, at least an hour, I'd rather use my own words. I know what I want to tell Hashem. I know what I appreciate about Hashem. You're going to tell me what to say. You're going to tell me I need to say I love Hashem. Let me say what I want to do. But you're not prevented from doing so. Certainly, and we're going to get to that. But I just want to stress this point that we all know that we... Personal speeches, don't they always say when you, when you speak, you should say a personal story? Well, when we pray, we should say a personal prayer. We'll mean a lot more to Hashem if we talk about how much we love Hashem personally rather than take the prayer book and just say whatever we're told. So why do we have a prayer book? Based on what you've said, that wouldn't actually establish like satisfying what we've dictated as the point of prayer. Fantastic. So obviously one of the reasons is that prayer is not only about praising Hashem. There is much more going on. There is that ladder. And we'll discuss throughout the classes why each step of the ladder is necessary. That's 100% correct, Mr. Schwartz. Thank you. But I'd like to add one more point. And that is, we will never find satisfactory words for Hashem. We cannot find satisfactory words to define Hashem. No human can. The only person that could is Hashem. And that is why throughout prayer we're always quoting from Tanakh. Barely do we say our own words to Hashem. Even though it may not be personally our own, but barely do we say words that even the rabbis instituted. Whenever, the rabbi, whenever there's a paragraph, look at the sources, look at the footnotes. There's always footnotes, they're always sourcing back to the Tanakh, to the Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. Because who am I to go ahead and say Hashem is the greatest? Yeah, but a lot of some, people, some people tell us that saying Hashem is great is derogatory. Hashem is great? You don't even understand how great Hashem is. Saying Hashem is awesome. We don't even understand how great Hashem is. So uh, there are times and there are codifiers that say to say Hashem is Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vahanora, mighty and awesome. These are derogatory terms to Hashem. Okay, each one has an answer. But we on our own cannot come and decide how we're going to compliment Hashem. Yeah, but a lot of stuff in the Fantastic. So David, so Menachem has a very good question. He's saying that it's a fantastic question. Tanakh, Hashem didn't write. David Amelach, King David wrote Psalms. So I just told you we could only think Hashem with Hashem's words. And yet a lot of prayer is not Hashem's words. Great question. What's the answer? The answer is, it is Hashem's words. That's why it's Tanakh. That's why it's holy. It's not holy because it's David HaMelech's words. It's Hashem's words. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy, Devarim, was said by who? Was said by Moshe. The entire fifth book of the Torah was said by Moshe. Yet we call it Torah Hashem. It's Hashem's Torah. Although it was said by Moshe, although it was said by Moshe, it was God's words through Moshe. And the same thing is Tilim. Tilim was divinely inspired. Very good question, Menachem. Thank you. So, we pray with a set prayer book. But it did it wasn't always like this. For 1,000 years following the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was no set prayer. 
there were sacrifices, there was no set prayer, and you did do whatever you felt was appropriate. You would go ahead and pray to Hashem how you felt appropriate. What happened was, unfortunately, we had the exile of 70 years when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylonia, came and destroyed the first temple and he put us in Babylonia until the end of the story of Purim, where we then the child, the Daryavish, the son of Esther, allowed the Jewish people to go and rebuild the temple. But during that 70 year period, well, unfortunately, a lot of the Jewish people were having children that some of them didn't know Hebrew. Some of them were not familiar with all the laws and customs. And because of that, mainly because of the fact that a lot of these children didn't even know Hebrew, it was necessary for us to create a Hebrew a prayer book. To create a guide for these children how to pray. And, and it was at that time that the Anshe Knesset HaGadola, men of the Great Assembly, came ahead, they, um, headed by, who was the Anshe Knesset HaGadola headed by? Who? Not Mordechai, that's a good try. Ezra, thank you. Ezra HaSoifer, he, he headed the Anshe Knesset HaGadol and one of the things they did is they instituted set prayers. Specifically, we attribute to them the Shemona Esrei. The wording of the Shemona Esrei of the Amida came about right after the story of Purim being again that these children were not familiar with how to properly pray, instituted by the Anshe Knesset HaGadola. But it took another 800 years. From that time, it took another 800 years till the Siddur was, to a small extent, solidified. There were many prayers being added at different times. So, from the Second Temple, from the beginning of the Second Temple until the first prayer book was solidified, was another 800 years. What is the oldest Siddurim that we are aware of? Well, the first Siddur that we are aware of was written 1100 years ago by Rev. Amram Gaon. There was a time period, there is a time period in the Jewish history called the Gaonim. And during that time, Rev. Amram Gaon, he wrote a Siddur. Why did he write a Siddur? Well, there was, in Barcelona, Spain, there were Jews that they asked him, they said, we're not familiar what to do, please go ahead and instruct us. And he wrote a sitter for these people in Barcelona, Sp Spain, but it then went ahead, handwritten, until the year 1865. Interesting, it was not printed until 1865, but from that time that he, he gave it to Barcelona, Spain, it traveled, and the Jews in Spain, France, and Germany used his sitter again from Reb Amram Go in 1100 years ago. A hundred years later, taking us back a thousand years, Rabbi Sadia Gaon, he wrote a sitter. This one was written for the Jews in the Arab countries and the halachot he actually wrote in Arabic. In Judeo, how do you? Judeo, Judeo Arabic? Yeah. yeah. Is that in my print? respect, Rabbi, I think he wrote it in, um, in Judeo-Spanish. Okay, could be. No, I, I, I believe he wrote it in Aramaic, which is the same language that the Talmud is written in. But right, we know... But by then, the, uh, Aramaic was in decline. He, anyways, he wrote the Siddur with commentaries, with the instructions for the Jewish people in the Arab countries. And these are the 
foremost two Sidurim that we are aware of. Where do the different Nuschaot come from? We have Nusach Ashkenaz, Nusach Sfar, Nusach Ari. And I'd like to give two minutes for everyone to turn over their handout. And actually, we'll read it together. It's very important. On the other side, on page two of your handout number 10, we have over here a quote from the Magid of Mizrich in Magidvar of Lyakov. And he shares with us what is all these different, different types of Nusach. It's like a joke. You go to one shul, they pray this thing. Another shul, they pray a different thing. How could this be? We're all davening, we're all praying to the same God. How do we have so many different prayer books? And just to give you an example of how many we had, when Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi was compiling his prayer book just a few hundred years ago, he was doing it off of... He was using 60 different Sidurim. As a, as a source. So we see that there's a tremendous amount. Let's read this together. And the bolded parts, of course, are the focus. The question was raised as to why are there different customs regarding the order of prayer, such as Ashkenaz and Sfard, and how each individual should pray. How should I pray? You know, I'm coming closer to Judaism, and I need to choose a prayer book. I, there's so many. You go to the bookstore, what the, how do you know what to do? And you go to one shul, they have three different sedorim, how do you know which one to use? I replied, it is impossible to adequately explain these things in writing. It's impossible, I can't answer your question in writing. But the following I will reveal. Our sages teach us, a person entering and leaving the holy temple would have to bow 13 times. As you would enter the holy temple, you would bow 13 times. And upon leaving, you would bow 13 times. Why? Rabbi, the, the um, Siddur says 60 different versions of prayer books. Thank you. Thank you. Parale paralleling the 13 gates of the temple. For each one of the 13 gates of the temple, you would bow down one time, 13 times in total. There are, these are also alluded to in the book of Ezekiel, where each tribe will have its own gate when the holiness of Jerusalem is restored to the status it had in the time of the temple. So we're going to get back these 13 gates. It is known that the temple here on earth paralleled the celestial temple. The holy temple on high therefore also has a gate for each tribe as explained in the writings of the Ari. There is a temple down below, there's a temple in heaven. The makeup of the temple down below is a reflection of the temple in heaven. 13 gates down here tell us there's 13 gates to the heavenly temple. Paralleling these gates were the 13 times that a person had to bow. These kneelings involved the transmission of the spiritual sustenance that flows through these gates, as is known to those who delve into the writings of the Ari. That means each time we're bowing, not only are we bow bowing parallel to one of those gates, we're actually drawing down a specific energy into our lives. The concept of prayer is therefore the key with which each individual enters through his own gate. Prayer, there's a gate for each one of us. Why is there 13 gates? One for each tribe, and as you'll, you could continue the rest to yourself, let's actually just read the bolded areas. The 13th gate, however, is for the individual who does not know from which of the 12 tribes he originates. 
13 gates. 12 for each tribe, 1 for the, tri for the person that doesn't know. Why is the 13th gate not enough? I'm just reading the bolded areas. Well, people do not know the tribe of their origin. And we also do not know which customs apply to which tribes. The prophet Ezekiel predicted that in the ultimate future there will only be 12 gates in Jerusalem, one for each tribe. The reason for this is that everyone will then know his own tribe. Why do we have so many prayer books? Because every person has his own gate. Every tribe has his own gate. And that is why the sitter you use is so important. But, why is it? What did the Arizal do? What did Reb, Reb Isaac Luria, Ashkenazi, what, did, what was his accomplishment with his sitter? He wrote the 13th sitter. He wrote the Shar HaKoylo. He wrote the sitter that, that the person that doesn't know can pray from. And as Reb Dovber, the Maggid of Mizrich says, essentially, there are a lot of questions on many of the different types of Nusach. And so everyone is welcome to use Nusachari. To change from one Nusach to the next is actually a problem. It's a very big deal. You shouldn't go into one shul and one day daven Nusach Ashkenaz Sfard because you're going through different gates. And it's not just entering, yes, you can enter from the back of the shul, the front of the shul. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about there's different energies in each one. And we don't just mix up energies. But you are welcome, according to the halacha, to change from any Nusach to Nusachari. Because he is that all-encompassing Nusach. So for example, if you want to change from Nusach Sfar to Nusach Ashkenaz, you would have to talk to a rabbi. If you want to talk, if you want to change from one Nusach to Nusach Ari, you still should talk to a rabbi, but it's not such a problem. That is why there are so many different types of Nusach, and that is the accomplishment of Nusach Ari. Are there any questions? So if I have a Nusach, Ashkenaz, and Nusach Sifar, Sidarim, that could be a problem if I'm... You should... Interchangeably, which... Unless you're Chazin. If you're Chazin, you could use... Not you could, you must halakhically use the Siddur of that Shul. But, um... Otherwise, Nusach Sifar, Nusach Ashkenaz, going from one Shul to the next is not very healthy. Yeah, you should you should choose one of them. Both. Ideally, we should try and use one sitter, and within Nusach Ashkenaz is not such a problem. Within Nusach Sfar is not such a problem. Moshanto himself used to at times decide that he was going to pray using Rabuya's Nusach. He's written about it. I mean, this is a known thing. Fair enough. I, I think he did use his Nusach. I think he only uses Nusach. The Chabad sitter. Just to tell you, it's the first time. What is the Chabad Siddur? It's not a Chabad Siddur. It's the Arizal Siddur. It was the first time the Arizal Siddur was printed for the general people. Until then, the, Nus the Arizal Siddur was only written for Kabbalists. That means the Arizal was a big Kabbalist. And they would write his Siddur with so much commentary on the side and with so much, no one was able to use it. You know, actually, there was once a prayer book with commentary like this, and Hasidim saw that there was a simple lady in, uh, who owned an inn who had it. And they told her, they said, look, you have this sitter with all this commentary. We'll switch. We'll buy you the best sitter out there, but give us this one as all this commentary. She says, no, no, I won't give it away. I won't give it away. You know why I like this one so much? Because I don't care if the outsides get ripped. 
the middle of the Siddur will still remain. Mm. True story. But, but the Arizal Siddur was printed for many years without um, being in a format for an average person to use. And so when, when Rav Shneir Zalman printed the Siddur a few hundred years back, um, his accomplishment was making a general Siddur that an average person could use for Nusachari. And you'll see inside if you open it, it's a Nusachari Siddur. But, I I'm not familiar, but I trust you, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, it could be that he, he understood each nusach, he understood what he's accomplishing with each one, and he was able to make that decision. But us, we're not familiar. It's not in our hands to just uh, switch around. Yes, Rav So, you and you don't have a sitter with you, and somehow you get, you're someplace, and they say, come on, hey, Jewish, we need you for a, a minion, but they only have their own. No problem. Use that sitter. Yeah. My question, our, our discussion here is not what you should do in an extreme circumstance. Absolutely use a shul sitter. The, the point we're discussing is when you have the ability to choose a nusuch, choose one, and stick to it, do not fluctuate because it is so holy. By the way, I'll give you a similar example. You know, you know, Kabbalah tells us we don't put our hands like this. We don't crisscross our hands. Why not? Well, there's five kindnesses and five, five different types of strictness, right and left, right? Our, why do Hasidim put the right side of their coat into the left? Right? Most often men's clothing, you put the left over the right. Well, we always put the right over the left. I have this button here. Why? Because left is strictness. Right is kindness, and I always want my right, my, the kindness, to be the overpowering factor in my life. And the same thing here, we don't want to mix over the energies of kindness and strictness together, and that is why what we could do is, and you'll see, actually someone once painted a picture of the Rebbe. He painted a picture and he showed it to the Rebbe, where his fingers were like this, and the Rebbe told him, you have to redo that. I, you know, that's not okay, and he redid it. Um, so as long as we're not completely interlocking our fingers, we switch around a little bit with two, that would be okay. Yeah. So, let's talk about the history of the first printed Siddurim in each Nusach. Well, the first Nusach to be printed was Nusach Ashkenaz. The truth is that there was a Roman Siddur called Minhag Romi that was printed already in 1486. But the first Nusach Ashkenaz Siddur was printed in 1513 in Prague. And in Venice in the year 1524, under 10 years later, the first Nusach Svard Siddur was printed. Well, we go now to the year, around the year 1800, less than 300 years later, and that's when we have the Reb Shneir Zalman using 60 different types of Siddurim to compile the full and complete Nusach Ari Siddur. So it really traveled, and we've discussed why we had so many different types of Nusach. The Arizal did not actually write a Siddur. He didn't write it, and so when I said that Reb Shneir Zalman compiled a Siddur, that's seemingly a contradiction. If it was the Arizal Siddur, he didn't compile it. Well, the Arizal didn't write a Siddur. The Arizal didn't write anything for that matter. Does anyone know who did write? The Arizal's prime student, Reb Chaim Vital, he was the author of the teachings of the Arizal, meaning he took, he took his teachers, um, he took the Arizal's teachings and authored them, compiled them. But the Arizal didn't actually write anything. How many years did the Arizal leave, lead as a Kabbalist for? He died at a very young age. He only was a, Kabbal a revealed Kabbalist for two years. So everything we have from him is only 
from the two years that he was that he, that's a whole lot. That's correct. <coughs> so the Arizal did not author a sitter, and his sitter for many generations was only passed down um, by word of mouth from student to student. So when I said Rav Shneir was compiling, that's because he was fine-tuning what the tradition that had been passed down and just making sure that it would be perfect when he would now go ahead and print it. Please. Why were these 60 sitters if they had all these, only a couple of new socks? Well, the problem was there weren't a couple of new socks. There were lots at one time. For instance, there's still a subset of Ashkenazim called Romanian Jews. They have their own, uh, and they exist mainly in Israel and New York now. They have their own. New sock is different. Um, there are a couple of others, British uh, New sock. People go off on tangents, especially in isolated communities, and so it was necessary to bring these all together as a unifying factor. Uh, and under the umbrella of Lubavitch, and that was another important role that the sitter that everybody could buy into was a unifying factor uh, for all Jews. Uh, and thank you. And I want to add, I mean, if Reb Zaman will be making a sitter today, he would have thousands and and. You know, the, everyone has a new nusach today. You look in every sitter, there's variances and differences. Um, so let's summarize and with this we'll conclude. We've discussed the four steps of prayer, acknowledging that Hashem runs the world, judging ourselves, refining ourselves, and then concluding with attaching ourselves to Hashem. We've discussed the history of prayer itself, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in instituting one prayer, the fact that they correspond to sacrifices. King David already tells us he said the three prayers. We went ahead and discussed the history of different nuschach, why we have so many different types of nuschaot, and the accomplishment of the Siddur of Rav Shneir Zalman, and how each and every one of us has the ability to choose the central gate from which our prayers can connect to God. So let us all leave with a blessing. Today is Lag Omer. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, his energy is inspiring us. When we talk about the Arizal, the Arizal who maybe took Kabbalah to the next level, Kabbalah was authored by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, whose yard site is today. It's a very special day. The Talmud says about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, in a time of stress, in a time of need, he's a man to rely on. So if anyone is in a difficult area in their life, it's a very holy day. And that is why there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people today at the site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's burial. Anyone know where that is? Meron. Meron. Meron, Israel. There are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people there today celebrating the, the, his day of passing. And uh, we should all take out that energy and fully be blessed. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day.